So I'm teaching. I had a really tough semester. And then my university also had a lot of turmoil, I guess I would say. Uh, Looking back, it was just felt very, maybe I don't belong here. And what should I do about that? And said, oh, you know, well, something I can at least do right now is be productive and start my website, start a blog, start coaching training, start to get clients. Like all of that was part of this gives me freedom and flexibility and somewhere to channel all the worry I had. Welcome to another episode of Academics Mean Business. This is your host, Dr. Lindsay Padilla. Today, 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 we have Dr. Caitlin Foss hanging out with us. And her and I, another Twitter person, us academics like to hang out on there, um, another Twitter folk that I interacted with and kind of our paths crossed a couple times. And I, I remember just DMing her and being like, dude, I need to have you on the podcast. Um, and here we are. She was on. It's happened. It was a great conversation. She's a current professor right now, just um, literally as we're recording this, a couple weeks ago, submitted her tenure packet. So we talk a lot about... She's been in business about two years. So we talk about some of those early moments that just totally mirror mine where you know she used a lot of the same language I used, checked all the boxes, right? You got the job, married your partner, you know, finish the dissertation, like all of those things that we use as markers in education or as academics. And um, so what what's kind of fun about our conversation is talking about those early those early moments when she was thinking that there might be something else. And so she mentioned how she kind of fell into uh, coaching and she actually had a student say that he wanted to be a life coach. So that's kind of fun. And then we do dig into her business model currently and where she sees it going. So I really like um, how open she was um, having that conversation two years in. And I think it'll be really great for you to listen to because she was so open, right? And she was thinking about, you know, the impact that she wants to make. How is that tied to revenue? What does that look like? And what would she be doing? And so it's a really cool, open, transparent conversation. And also us talking about like who inspired us um, and who continues to inspire us as we, you know, set out on this path that might be a little bit different than some of our colleagues. So I really think you're going to love this interview. I enjoyed it. Caitlin is awesome. And I'm so excited to see where she is next year in 2019 because we do talk a lot about her vision. So enjoy this one and hope to see you guys in the Academics Mean Business Facebook group so we can um, all get to know each other. Welcome, Dr. Caitlin Foss. Thanks for coming on today. Thanks, Lindsay. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) I'm excited to have you. We just had to kind of re-record this intro. We won't go into it, but we'll just say that your host forgot to hit record. So that's fun. (laughs) (laughs) Here we are. Here we are. And we outlined how we met each other, which I tend to do with folks on this show, because I think especially nowadays, um, and as the podcast is kind of growing organically, I'm not doing too much with it. And some of the like methods or tactics I could be doing, we'll just go, we'll just stay with that. But, um, but I'm, you know, as the podcast grows organically, I am meeting people through various platforms. And I think it's interesting to trace where it comes from. And, um, Caitlin and I are pretty sure, maybe like 90, 5% sure that we met on Twitter. I think it might have been a PhD chat. uh, Mm -hmm. Wait, not PhD chat. What is it? Um, 
Lisa Monroe's chat. Yes, yes. And with a PhD, with a PhD I think. There it yes. is. Yes. I think that's when we actually like started engaging, but I had seen you because you're also in Adeline's group, right? You're also yes. a, a sabbatical beauty user. I'm a sabbatical beauty user and a tester in her tester, testing group. There you go. That's so. like that's like high level stuff there. You have right? to be approved for that. You do. <laughs> I still got to get Adeline on my show. You do. Um, I'm going to reach out to her. Um, <laughs> yeah, we've actually been talking about it, but it just hasn't worked out. So uh, hopefully she'll get in before the holidays. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, thank you for coming on. This has been a long time coming. We'll just say that. Absolutely. I'm so excited what you're doing with helping people with their businesses and watching it grow organically. Mm. And then many of your past guests are people that I've interacted with over the past couple of years and have had virtual coffee chats and gotten to know oh, each cool. other really well. So it's been great to hear their episodes. And then now I have a long list of people to uh, new reach friends, out right? to right? Yeah. Yeah, and make new that's friends. That's why we're doing this. I mean, that's what's so cool about it, I guess, too. Like even just thinking about. Yeah, I had Dr. Melanie Klein on this morning and, you know, her episode will likely be right before this. But yeah, um, we had this long past of um, we're both sociologists and I followed her, gosh, in the early 2008, 2009, something like early Twitter days. And um, she was really active on it. And so full circle, you know, 12, 15 years later, we're sitting here like on a podcast about academics, you know, having businesses and being outside the academy. Mm -hmm. So it's, it is really cool to think about how these various identities we have intersect, mm -hmm. and then how we're able to find and make community online by those common interests. And I think it's pretty cool. Yes, it is. And just with the technology behind it, right? Having a mm -hmm. Zoom chat feels like you're sitting next to each other now and it really does 2018 2019 it's just like wow you're right there i can see you yeah like you're a real person and yeah she was bringing up these names of uh like jessica valenti and like uh the woman behind feministing and like lots of stuff i used to use in my classroom and mm -hmm. she got tight with them because we kind of talked about that about how you know social media can really bridge that gap between, you know, people doing work that you admire. And then you end up there hanging out in your city and you can go to coffee and it's easy to just, you know, DM somebody and be like, oh, you're in town. And so that idea of that connection with someone that doesn't feel like you've never talked with them before, it's almost like, yeah, it's so cool. While at the mm -hmm. same time, everyone, you know, makes fun of how social media makes us feel isolated and lonely and sad. The flip side of it is, is it really does bring us together as well. So it's it's always a double edged sword. It is. It's exciting. Yeah, but it is exciting. Yeah. So let's talk. Let's start with your background because you're a psychologist um, and you're you're working in an institution right now. Um, but yeah, tell us a little bit about what you researched, you know, any part of that CV you want to share with us, what you're teaching, that kind of stuff. So we can we can learn a little bit more about you and your work. Absolutely. Excited to talk about it. So in undergraduate, my undergraduate career, I started out as an education major and thought I was going to teach. Oh, that's high, funny. Right. High school yeah. family consumer science. And I loved parenting and the mm. things about it that were just uh, like family consumer science. But a lot of <laughs> teachers that you know, it's home ec is the uh, outdated <laughs> term. Uh, a lot of those teachers spend their time teaching seventh and eighth graders how to sew. And that involves yeah. a lot of fingers <laughs> in the sewing machine. And when I did that I observation, <laughs> that first observation or, you know, the first time you're spending real time in the classroom in college mm -hmm. while you're getting ready to be a teacher, 
I had just missed somebody sewing their finger the day before. (laughs) And I thought, you know, maybe this isn't exactly what I meant by what I wanted to do with my life. Mm. Uh, And I had found that love of psychology and was really excited about, oh, you can develop a career in psychology and you can be a researcher. And what do you mean you can go on and then become a professor? Like I had always known I wanted to be a teacher, but I didn't know being a professor could be something you could do until, of course, I was surrounded by professors. Uh, And so I then uh, went to graduate school right after my undergraduate degree, graduated with psychology. This was 2008. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then went to Virginia Tech for human development and family studies, actually. So an HDFS Mm -hmm. program, which is very related to what you do, you know, what Mm -hmm. you did in teaching marriage and family classes. Mm -hmm. And those are right up my alley. My specialization Mm -hmm. is in child and adolescent development. Oh, cool. And I, uh, my dissertation was about educational outcomes. I focused on college students dropping out. And mm. in the academy, we view college dropouts as like, you left, you disappeared. Mm. We want to prevent dropout. And we don't want you to drop out. And dropping out really must be the worst thing that anybody could do because yeah. we're in the academy and we're here to stay. So I was fascinated by the idea of, well, do people really feel that way when they drop out of college? Mm. And I did a lot of interviews. And then uh, I actually used secondary data, nationally public data that was representative, and looked at what are the patterns of people that drop out? What happens to them as young adults? So how do they feel Mm. mental health wise? What's their socioeconomic status? You know, it was fascinating to find this whole population of people that had dropped out of college and were making $90,000 a year. Yep. I was like, who (laughs) are they? Um, You know, and that we ignore them in a lot of our research Mm. and our data. So I love it. It doesn't fit the the message, right? No. um, The value that we hold as Americans or if yeah definitely and the path that we get on of Mm -hmm. you have to go to college you Mm -hmm. have to graduate with that bachelor's degree and then you're gonna go keep going on in the academy or like find the job afterwards and maybe aspire to get your master's afterwards it never really ends right of the path of higher education for a lot of people so uh that was my dissertation in graduate school. And I also knew that I really wanted to teach at a small institution while I was there. I knew that I really enjoyed mentoring undergraduate students. And it was something I knew I didn't like writing grants. I didn't see myself at a Research One institution, even though I was immersed in one. And I wanted to follow the path of teaching somewhere small. My advisors were very surprised at this and tried to convince me not to. Mm. And why would you do that? It was very (laughs) viewed as a downgrade and uh, how could you kind of thing. But I applied to teaching institutions exclusively, really, besides postdocs and landed a job right out of graduation. So, yeah, interviewed and then started the job right as I was finishing my dissertation. So that was five years ago now. So mm-hmm. I spent five years in my program and now I have five years at my institution, small liberal arts university outside of Washington, D.C. And we have about less than 2000 students. Oh, nice. I only teach wow. undergraduate students. Yeah, I have 65 students a semester. Wow. So at Virginia Tech, when I was teaching, you know, I would teach a class that had at least 60 students in it. Oh, yeah, right? for sure. Yeah, that's now, pretty the norm. Yeah, across my classes, I have I have three classes. We're on about a 3-3 teaching mm-hmm. load with senior research projects added. 
and I teach 65 students total and I get to see them uh, Mm. literally grow up because I am at an institution that's very 18 to 22 year old environment because we're uh, 90% residential and it just has a culture and community of young people. Yeah. So uh, it feels like I watch them grow up from 18 to 22. And I just submitted my tenure packet this year and it feels great to have submitted that. Thank you. And uh, know that I headed into it with a really solid research and service and all of those things. And I didn't have to do it by, you know, kind of that killing myself or running myself into the ground to get there, which is what I had seen a lot of research one Mm -hmm. professors do Mm -hmm. when I was at my institution. So Mm -hmm. that's where I am now for the academic side. Sure. Yeah. So tell us, when did you start to go, huh, I'm kind of want to do some other things. Like when did your coaching business come to life? If you could trace back to a moment or a series of moments, I like to document that as much as possible for our guests, just so they can be like, oh my gosh, that's where I'm at right now. It's kind of a a cool thing. Yes, I was a third year professor. I think I was somewhere in my third year. There were a couple uh, things going on all at once. So one was I had I landed my dream job and yeah. I was a couple years <laughs> in now. I had life-wise, I'd also just gotten married mm-hmm. to uh, my husband and I met back when I was an undergrad an undergraduate student and oh, uh, we just got married. You know, we're living in our house. It was just everything that I always told myself I wanted to do. Sounds familiar. Ooh, and it's a it's a very like, oh, if I could say to myself the uh-huh. statements when I would say, I'll be happy when. Mhm. I had checked every box. I'll be happy when all the boxes were checked. And so here I was kind of looking at myself like, wait a minute. This is this is it. I also turned 30 that year, which is Uh, uh, I didn't think was a big deal. But in hindsight, right, it's like I think there was that had something to do with it mm -hmm. and delayed quarter life crisis or Mm -hmm. something. So I'm teaching. I had a really tough semester. I, Mm. I had student evaluations one fall and then you know a couple of classes in particular particular that were just very paragraphs about how much they hated my class and I'm the worst professor Ugh. ever and student evaluations sometimes can be really mm-hmm. uh, critical as we know mm-hmm. but these were very like wow did I even pick the right profession mm-hmm. I thought I I grew up wanting to be a teacher and what's happening right now So that dynamic was happening. I was trying to decide, how do I recover from this? Part of it was always being an overachiever and loving school Uh and finding myself teaching students, as we do, that don't love school. Mm -hmm. They weren't Mm -hmm. all obsessed, right? They were Mm -hmm. like, I'm here to get my degree and to go work a job. Why do you want, why are you forcing me to learn some of this material? (laughs) (laughs) To care, good word. (laughs) Uh, So... That happened. And then my university also had a lot of turmoil, I guess Mm. I would say. And Mm -hmm. we, as a lot of institutions have experienced in the past five years, when I meet people and I say, I'm in my sixth year and I've had four university presidents, most people say, me too. Yep. Yep. Uh, Yep. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) And And administration has changed. Mm -hmm. And I, of course, it's a little bit of confirmation bias, but I read all the articles that are talking about the deflating education bubble Uh (laughs) and um, 
what like is it the bubble actually going to burst and i was watching all of that happen around me and realizing i have put all my eggs into this basket into this mm-hmm. job and that i you know we live here in my location because of this job yep. and yep. what would happen if i lost this job i didn't have like i had no other i couldn't tell you what i was going to do <laughs> so then so that was happening too and i was just kind of like well Oh, the other piece was publishing research articles, Uh, really feeling like I'm making an impact in my field, but realizing that impact is two people reading my article. (laughs) (laughs) And and it's behind a paywall. And why, you know, what's going on here? Wait, is this what I thought I'd be Mm -hmm. doing when I wanted to change the world and change higher education and all of these things? So while that happened, I said, well, how can I, well, there were very life crisis moments. I mean, people who knew me at the time were, you know, like, what are you freaking out about? Some people that are outside of academia and within it, I had a lot of support and kind of, what am I doing? Why am I here? Just going through that career crisis Mm -hmm. mode, but also trying to keep it together for my students and other people that knew me uh and obviously being on the tenure track like yeah i'm all in i'm Mm -hmm. i'm doing this i'm doing this but looking back it was just felt very maybe i don't belong here Mm -hmm. and what should i do about that uh so i i mean i i definitely thought about leaving and had applied to other jobs as kind Mm -hmm. of like outside of academia i thought Mm -hmm. maybe i was always supposed to be in industry uh statistics are one of my favorite things Mm -hmm. to do. And there's a big need for statistics and data analysts, as we know. So I thought maybe that's a different path to go down. But at the end of the day, it was like, I do still really enjoy mentoring my students. And I do really enjoy uh, conversations I have with people. And I knew Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be a clinician uh, in the traditional Mm -hmm. sense. But once I think it was even a student that told me about coaching and life coaching. Really? How funny. Yeah. He's, I think I had a, I think he was maybe 20 and he came into my office for advising and said, I think I want to be a life coach. And I was like, (laughs) I don't, what, what are you talking about? (laughs) There's no degree in that. (laughs) There's no, yeah. I don't, what's a life coach. And I, you know, it was kind of this awkward conversation and he didn't end up pursuing it even after I figured out what it was and was uh-huh. and said, maybe you should pursue this. Uh, maybe I'd, I had even discovered Marie Forleo, right? Mm. Who was very young when she started life coaching. And so mm-hmm. it's like an, an inspirational story for young people who want to be coaches. <laughs> he pursued a different path, but that started to put this idea in my head. And my sister had a coach at work. She's a nurse and I was just like, what is this whole world of coaching? So I started Mm -hmm. to explore it while all this turmoil was going on. And I was trying to decide what to do and said, oh, you know, well, something I can at least do right now is be productive and start my website, start a blog, start coach, start coaching training, start to get clients. Like all of that was part of this gives me freedom and flexibility and somewhere to channel all the worry I had because mm. what, what else was I doing with the worry? I was just sitting around twiddling my thumbs of, I, I don't know what's going to happen. And instead I felt the need to do something about it. And so that's part of where hmm. really starting my business in the summer of 2016 really happened. It was the catalyst, all those things that happened in 2015 and 16 to then say, now's the time. 
Mm, I got you. Where were when you were like, oh, it's because you kind of mentioned uh, Marie Forleo. What did like re- did you like just Google like how to be a life coach or were you like because I I I didn't know about coaching either. Um, and I've, I know I've brought this up before, but I hired a dissertation coach and I still didn't realize that all these other people were hiring coaches. And for some reason, it just felt like a weird thing that I fell into. Mm-hmm. But then I did MLM stuff and then started listening to podcasts. So like my way in was podcasting, but I never was like, oh, people are just life coaches. So I'm, I feel mm-hmm. like you did it like in a different way than I did it. And I, so I'm just curious, like, were you researching? Like you even said you did a certification and stuff. Where did you go for help and guidance? at that point. Yes, which is part of the story I forgot. So while mm. I was running, uh, I would train for races and it was a big deal. That same spring of 2016, I ran my first half marathon. And when you uh, run that much, you have yeah. to listen to podcasts, right? And yeah. listen to material. And I listened to Side Hustle Nation uh, oh, yeah. uh, with Nick Loper. And it's something I just stumbled on. And it feels like I know we're only two years later, but even Mm -hmm. two years ago, there weren't very many podcasts and a variety of things. And I was just kind of, I'm going to get into a completely different domain. You know what I usually listen to are knitting podcasts (laughs) and like craft things. And Does I said, it pump you up while you're running? No, yeah, right. No, because what it makes you want to do is do more knitting, which is great, right. but had gotten me through graduate school, certainly. Yeah. However, oh, my gosh, me too. Ah, see? Yeah, oh, and there's I'm a whole a academic knitting community that needs oh, to band there? together. And yes, we, we should could be all. Of a I'm telling you. <laughs> Academics knit. A- academic knit. online. That's right. People say these niches, right, of... What could you be doing right now? You could just be academics who knit and there's a whole market for that. Uh, The whole wall of or all the materials, all the things I knit in graduate school, right, are just evidence (laughs) of like how I got through graduate school. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Uh, So it's like I had to listen to something different. And so the Mm -hmm. Side Hustle Nation, listening to his episodes back to back, all these ideas of what people do for side hustles, because it was very in the beginning, it was... um, I guess I had this career exploration that just said, maybe I meant for something completely different. Mm. You know, like maybe I, when people Good have that. Tr- for thinking of that though, because I think that was a question. Yeah. Like that's an, um, do you think it has something to do with you research? So I'm like connecting to your research, right? Like some people <laughs> dropping out. Were you right. like, Oh, yeah, I could drop out and actually make pretty good money. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't even know I never made that connection because to (laughs) me, you know, it's yeah, that's that's interesting. The groups I had been studying, right, and that they had Mm -hmm. made this different path. Nope, never Mm -hmm. made that connection to my personal (laughs) self. It's so hard to see ourselves up close. Right. And the the only reason I can tell this story is because it was two years ago. Right. Mm -hmm, Not my mm -hmm. current story. It's my past story. And so I can say it in a lighthearted way. I mean, the amount of times I was crying on my couch and for sure very first world problems of like Mm -hmm. what people would, you know, what's going on with you? It's like, I'm going Mm -hmm. through this whole career thing and I don't know. Uh, I mean, it's an identity thing. Like, I know I've talked about that before, too. It's like I signed up for this identity and like your your story is so similar to mine. I'm just like, Mm -hmm. oh, my gosh. Yes. Like checked all the boxes. That is like exactly how I use use and explain my story. And um, it's true. It's like, oh, I did it. Like, oh, wait, I like doing and I like achieving. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, getting tenure was one of the last things you could do. And I was like, so and then I have tenure for 40 years. Like what what yes. happens next? You know, yes. and then some folks are like, oh, go into admin work. And it's like K or not. Right. Like I see what that mm-hmm. looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was also the only other way you can make more money. So yes. I think it started to come to me where I'm just like, so this is just my reality always and forever. And I'll get like a thousand more dollars a year indefinitely. Like it was just so weird. Um, It felt like I was less in control of what I was like working towards. Whereas like when you're working towards your doctorate, when you're working towards the job, you have a purpose and Mm -hmm. then you land it and you don't. And that seems so weird to say you don't have a purpose. You do, but you're you've reached the height of what you wanted to reach. So some people are cool with that. But for me, it was just like this moment of Wait, now what? And I think especially as academics, we're always striving. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you know, did it. Um, I had a, I had some more random breaks maybe than you did, but you did it straight through. Mm-hmm. And then when you're not doing that anymore, then what? Yes. When you're not like, what's on the, the next ladder. Thing to reach for. Yeah. When you're right. not on the ladder. Exactly. You're at the top. It feels super weird when you're at the top. Yes. Nobody says there's like not a new ladder. Right. Well, the only ladder yeah. was uh, administration. And in mm-hmm. my first year, you know, I would write my application for my job was probably something like and I could see myself being a dean or a college <laughs> president someday <laughs> totally. or something. You know, it's just like that'll be the next ladder I get on. Right. And then mm-hmm. when you're in it and I said, oh, well, especially with administration changing so much around me, it was like. I don't want to. It doesn't be, look fun at all. Yeah, that's not fun. <laughs> and they tell me it's not fun. And so mm-hmm. I got, you know, let's stay away from that ladder. Uh, that isn't even, re- you know, it's just a very, again, hierarchy that you're climbing. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah. So it's just felt like maybe compl- something completely different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's uh, with hindsight that I thought I had to find something completely different. And I really didn't. So when people hear Mm -hmm. my story, they're like, of course, it makes sense. You're a psychology professor and you found life coaching. And Mm -hmm. now you do these things like, of course. And I say, yeah, but I was reading all the career books of kind of maybe (laughs) I had missed my path. And I was actually supposed to be the accountant or, uh, you know, doing something completely different, even though I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. Uh, Mm -hmm. so when that, like, and you're listening to people's side hustles and people are doing all kinds of things, it was so exciting to hear Mm -hmm. a wide variety of job callings. And it reminds me of the traditional, uh, when graduate students are thinking about like, maybe I'm going to open that bakery and, Mm. you know, it's such a far, it's so different from what we're trained to do, uh, that it's kind of like, yeah, that's on a completely different path. And if you want to do that, pursue it, but Maybe that's also a dr- part of your dream because it is so far away from what you currently do, which mm. is probably something you still love. Like, I mm-hmm. still love the t- educational outcomes and career mm-hmm. outcomes. I just channeled it into a n- new way uh, mm-hmm. that makes sense, of course, now. But at the time, yeah, listening to that podcast and then running into all of the big names. So two years ago and before that, you only ran into the big names and you really didn't know that other PhDs were doing this. Like, that's why it's so important that you have this podcast so now mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you would run into Marie Forleo and Amy Porterfield and Pat Flynn. And it was like, that's everybody who's doing this work. Where's and a lot of different people talk about it's OK. You don't have to be an expert. And yes, right. Uh, yes. Like that is a huge message for the rest of the world. <laughs> and we yes. are very like, 
No, I am an expert in something. Trust yeah, me. I and believe actually I'm an know expert. what I'm talking about. Yes. <laughs> Which is we don't we're not a confident group as it is, but if we're confident about something, it's that we have it's expertise this. in our research mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. And so when you see all that in online on the online business world, you kind of say, well, but what about people like me? So mm. in the past two years, just watching the whole community grow yeah. and I had seen Jen Polk's work. I had run into her a little bit and I think I did a online kind of dissertation not necessarily coaching, but it was accountability. It was online. Mm. And I think we paid, must've been something like $20 a month. And you checked in with other people. And it was a very early model of dissertation coaching that felt accessible to me and kept me on track. And so, yeah, I didn't know that other people were also engaging in it Mm -hmm. besides the people Mm -hmm. that were in my group. That's all I knew. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, the marketing side was kind of invisible to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, how did other people get here? I mean, I got it through word of mouth. So that made sense, like someone else in my program. But mm-hmm. and that, I, that I think is an interesting space that we're in right now. Because yeah, you know, we're around the same time of, of entering business. I mean, I think mm-hmm. I maybe started a little bit sooner with my MLM stuff and then transitioning into like coaching. So at the beginning of 2016, I was like, I'm going to be a health coach, but I'm not going to sell a Beachbody product. Mm-hmm. And, and very similar to you, like I was so blind to what my options were. I thought that was what I had to do. And then people were like, wait, why aren't you helping people teach online? I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> What do you what? mean? Like, are you kidding? Yeah. Oh, so my my MLM in like 2015 was uh, kitchen products. So oh, so I, you had an MLM too. So that's I part did. of your story also. I forgot that was a piece of it. Yes, because it's, that's a good it gets one. you ready for selling, right? Mm-hmm. And I had worked in and college. And the like, weird side income coming in that you're not really expecting. Because yes. I wasn't looking for it. Like that might be unique to academics because I'm almost positive that like, Majority of people that I've developed pretty close relationships and lots of people I've interviewed, a lot of women I've interviewed, mm-hmm. um, had started there, like mm-hmm. totally started in the MLM track. And I think that's when we became somewhat okay with like starting a side thing. Yes. And we, I, I always say I kind of accidentally started a business because I was not. I wasn't in a lot of turmoil. Um, I wasn't like, oh my gosh, why did I do this? I felt the gap of like not dissertating anymore and Mm -hmm. like, and then the gap of not learning really anymore. And and then paired with the achievement of like, I'm at the top of the ladder of what I thought was my top. Wait, what's next? And then Beachbody was there. It was like, oh, take care of yourself. And so Mm -hmm. that's what I did. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting because, yeah, most of my guests are happy with the teaching portion, um, but they're finding weird uh, friction, maybe. And mm-hmm. and I think since we're observers and we like to analyze stuff, we're like possibly questioning, like, wait, do I have to do this? And in the age that we live in, right? Mm-hmm. Like what we start to witness around us. And I'm I'm thinking that this idea of, you know, this is going to grow. <laughs> We're like in such early stages of academics being conscious of what you and I are doing. And yes. I love that you're bringing up Jennifer too, because she's somebody I'm like, I have to reach out to. I have like a list of people that um, <laughs> I need to reach out to get them on the show. Yeah, she was doing this work super early. And it was like, it's almost like 
yeah, stumbling in, but just recognizing how few people even know this is an option mm-hmm. and they're struggling and pushing through and experiencing shame and isolation and all these other things we experience when we're not sure we're in the right place. Yes. Which is part of like what I developed during that time or like Mm. in the past two years. I think it was about this time last year. I realized one thing or like the the big mission I'm on is to reduce Mm. shame in higher education. Mm. Who do I want to be when I grow up? Brene Brown. Yeah. Of course. And (laughs) also (laughs) hashtag goals getting her on this podcast. (laughs) Oh, won't that be exciting? You're right. Because she is an academic that has a business. Um, Yes. Big time. So I mentioned her before, like, I'm like, oh, I'll just like reference back to this awkward. No, like, I'm like, actually currently writing the pitch to reach out to her people because, because she's book touring, right? Yes. Um, But she also opens every book talking about how she's both an academic and a CEO. And this latest one, Dare to Lead, Mm -hmm. is like, I, I fell into this thing where I'm now like in charge of people for my company and I don't know what the heck I'm doing. And it's like, I know how to research. And I'm just like, she did it also in Braving the Wilderness. She did. And that actually was before I even had this podcast. And um, she does social work, which obviously is kind of close to sociology. And like, I know. Yeah, it's just anyways, it's, <laughs> she's all over my dissertation also. So yes, there's that. Yeah. I'm fan girl just a bit. I, yeah, we can fangirl together because um, it's like what she does and that she feels like the only model of someone who has, I assume, millions from what she's up mm-hmm. to uh, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, like somebody at such a high level yeah. and doing it currently and still keeps her academic role, but has yeah. an endowed chair that she pays for. Like, yeah, the dream of just being able to say anytime the University of Houston says something to her, like, here's the rule. She must just say, yep that's nice. I don't follow the rules mm-hmm. or maybe you must mm-hmm. say it nicer than that. But <laughs> I like to dream of the, <laughs> of when people make requests at the university level. And, right. you know, sometimes we feel like, okay, well, I have to do that because right. you're telling me I have to fine. But the, the power to be able to say the power that we're seeking and the freedom that we're seeking to be mm-hmm. able to say, no, I'm doing this no. on my agenda. Yep. Thank you. Yep. Uh, no, it's so badass. So it's so badass to like, Take, yeah, the research that you're doing and recognizing. And that's why it's like so like laced throughout her book is like, yeah, the public intellectual, this idea of taking um, something that, you know, could change people broadly speaking um, and going outwards and and recognizing that. And this is the interesting thing, because I also think about Amy Cuddy and her work, Mm -hmm, too. mm -hmm. I don't know if you follow her in that story, but like she also got really tore down by the academic community of like, oh, like the thing you're telling everyone is real isn't even real. Yes. Which is great. Uh, Leave it to the academics to just like, you know, critique, critique, critique. (laughs) And that's cool. And that's what we know how to do. But I don't she doesn't have a ton of backlash. And and it may be the style of research she does, obviously, too, like grounded theory, but and like also the topic where I think something like Amy Cuddy was really specifically like a TED talk about a very specific thing. And then people are like, oh, there's holes in her research. Right. Which is a very academic thing. But like Brene's created this body of work and it's it's this, yeah, and it's something that's so central to like the human condition and, and emotion. Mm-hmm. And so there's something that's like, it's not that it's untouchable and can't be critiqued, but it's more just like, 
no, we're just actually having conversations around shame. Like, and she's using the stories from her research to talk about it, which is very different than like Amy Cuddy and like an, you know, an experiment in the way that she set it up. But you Absolutely. might have more thoughts on it seeing as she's, uh, she's like social psych, I think, uh, Amy Cuddy, right? I like, think she is. Yeah. And it's very interesting that you bring up Amy Cuddy too, because yeah, there are the holes in her research and some of the other mm-hmm. popular psychology people that have sure. made it big. And Brene doesn't mm-hmm. have that problem because she mm-hmm. has solid, you know, if I read her methodology and read about her qualitative mm-hmm. work and I have training in that and it's like, yeah, you know what you're doing, Brene. But mm-hmm. when you read some of the other people's work uh, and it's like, wait a minute, you had this whole you have this whole theory of how everything works because you only had and you only had X amount of participants and you haven't replicated it. So with the Amy Amy Cuddy world, uh, I'm now in academia. I'm part of the open science framework Mm. uh, mission Mm -hmm. that we would just have open science and we would share our data and we need to pre-register hypotheses. I love it. And it's such an exciting like I am really excited about that in in our field, in my research field, uh, mm-hmm. because we didn't have that. It's like in a similar vein of how academics are growing their businesses. We're also in certain fields, I guess, we're growing the open science Expanding. movement. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. And to see that have taken off. And then people like Amy Cuddy are not on that bandwagon. And that's like a ah. red flag, right? Of, wait a minute. Why don't some people want to share their data? What are they trying mm-hmm. to hide? And people are uncovering all of that. And I don't really mm-hmm. do that work. But it's interesting to watch the debates back and forth. Or somebody has power to, you know, Amy Cuddy's story gets, what, what was it? The New Yorker that did that profile about how she... I think so. She How she's felt about it. And we're all reading it. And it's, uh, it's interesting to then watch how it keeps playing out as then somebody mm-hmm. else talks about it. And... That's in that's in real time happening. Yep. yep. What, We're what negotiating we gonna... it as a community, like as a population, yes. yeah, as a community, as like academics. Yep. yep. And well, how will we and look the... back on it in 20 years? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and all this stuff, too, with. Um, oh, gosh. Well, of course, like the sexual harassment cases that and and. Mm-hmm how that's being played out. Like that's a whole, like how power is being used in those situations and who's defending who. And mm-hmm. um, what's the other one that I'm thinking of? Oh, too. Like this one, it, uh, people kept sharing this, the people who posed as a fake research. Did you catch that yes, one too? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so this is all in the same vein. And I, you know, it's tied it to is. Brene's work, right? This idea of, you know, our, worth and our value as an academic is tied to our findings. And so if you have a finding that can make people go, oh my gosh, that's awesome, then it's your worth and value is tied to that. So why wouldn't Amy Cuddy want that to be true? You know, and Mm -hmm. then from a public perspective, even if the research isn't there as much, the idea that that a, a small act could make some people feel a little more confident, like that's mm-hmm. cool too. However, the sad part about the way we use like academic research in the public is is there's no understanding of like how hypotheses work and how we like like what <laughs> what me what is truth and evidence. And so then it's like we take that as as real with a capital R, whatever that means, or T, capital T, truth. And then people don't actually talk about how science is done. And so we have such a misunderstanding of that, which is also a layer of what kind of work we can do publicly as well. Like I've, I've definitely had guests come on to talk about like the work that they're doing around, you know, public 
science and information and, and knowledge and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's all interconnected. It's all interconnected. And it's exactly a really cool time to just be like live. We're witnessing. We're currently negotiating it. It's gonna, it's having an impact on how we do and our identities as academics. Mm-hmm. And it's also evidence of like this idea of like what does an open kind of knowledge system look like? Like if we're you know, hiding it behind or within the walls of an institution or behind a paywall or all these different things. It's like, what, why, you know, and I think enough of us are, are questioning that um, to go bigger, to do things a little bit differently and like, and things move faster mm-hmm. in, in entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. Like you can kind of get out, you know, the things that you were researching and maybe we can talk about this too in your work and how it goes into your coaching. And so you know, you don't have to get it approved in any way, shape or form. Mm-hmm. You don't have any committees or anything like people. And then you're also getting paid well enough in many ways because you can control like what you charge and, you know, um, what your output is where, you know, behind the walls of an institution, you can't like you're not really in control of that. Yes. Yes. Uh, so yes. do you find yourself <laughs> implementing a lot of the work that and what you've studied and and things that are happening in your classroom in your in your coaching business? Well, it's interesting because I did for a long time. Mm. And I now that I've been coaching for two years and have had a variety of clients, I was really focused on uh, the academic journey before. And obviously, Uh, I still Mm -hmm. help a lot of academics. We gravitate towards people that are like us, right? And so people sure. find me, uh, and they say, "Like we yeah. have something in common," and then they want might want to be coached. But a lot of it was around career decisions and around mm. um, goal setting. And I talk about purposeful productivity a lot and work life balance. But mm. uh, a lot of clients they start out, especially in the academic world, I think, uh, with a, mm. they think they have a problem like. <laughs> I'm finishing my dissertation. I need to uh, write this academic paper or like these are the things that I'm trying to accomplish. And we would work on goals. And I had training in my coaching program and asking powerful questions and all of this. But we'd work on goals and then they wouldn't meet those goals. And Mm. so maybe we would revise the goals and we would do this back and forth. But some clients. okay, so let me say. A lot of them were successful and moved on with their Mm -hmm. projects and their lives. But others, sometimes I would just find this isn't working the way I thought it would. And I don't Mm. know why it's not working the way I thought it would. And so right now I'm in a certification program from the Life Coach School, which is uh, Brooke Castillo. She has the podcast, uh, the Life Life Coach School, I think, is what the podcast is actually named now that I say that. We'll link to it. We'll link to it. We'll link to it. It's like, you know, uh, a lot of people follow it. And it's uh, one of those podcasts. She's had it for four years, I think. And Mm -hmm. it's really grown over the years. So I had been listening to that for a couple of years and hearing her talk about uh, how our thoughts are really driving our feelings and then our actions Mm -hmm. and our results, Mm -hmm. that it all comes back Mm -hmm. to our thoughts. And Mm -hmm. what we tend to think is that it's our circumstances. Like Mm -hmm. I have this, you know, um, this is just how it is. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. I'm confused about where I should go in my career because of that other person or because my institution isn't being, you know, they're not following the rules or being kind to me. And we put a lot of blame or we just think that circumstances are driving our actions instead of Mm -hmm. it's the way we think about it. 
And so yeah. being in this program has really opened up the possibilities for me. And and because she's training us to be uh, health coaches as well, and uh, we can help oh, with cool. weight loss and any kind of life issue because of the way she structured the model, that it could be mm-hmm. beyond some of the things I've typically done in the past or Ah, when a client uh comes to me, um, like I have a client on the job market. That's a frequent topic that people will come to me with. How do I get that academic job? How do I like, what are the next steps in the stage? And what do I do when I get this kind of rejection or acceptance? And how do I get ready for that interview? And that's great for logistical stuff. And I can Mm -hmm. definitely help with that. But getting to the deeper root has really been appealing to me lately in terms of there are bigger issues going on here like your thoughts kind of keep centering around feeling like an imposter or you take that article rejection and you think the thought i'm a failure and then it leads to all these other things like you never get that publication back out there and Mm -hmm. it's all like your actions you're not reaching the goals you set because of the thoughts you're having. The story you're telling the yourself. The story yep, you're yep, telling yourself yep, that you think yep. is true and is not actually mm-hmm. true at all. Mm-hmm. And you could tell yourself a different story and get completely different results. So that's yep. been so powerful in helping see, okay, there are other people. And grounded in psych and mm-hmm. you could, you know, and you can connect that to theoretical, yeah, yes. underpinnings. Cool, yes. cool. It's very, it all uh, connects and is very exciting. That you're exactly where you're supposed to be, Dr. Oh, Foss. Oh, <laughs> I am, I am always thinking about I'm exactly where I need to be. Coming right? to terms with that, being okay with mm-hmm. uncertainty as well, mm-hmm. not forcing things. And so it's, I... You know, it's thinking about where I'm headed in the future and where this business Mm -hmm. will take me instead. You know, a year ago, if you'd asked me, I would have been like, these are my goals for the the next, you know, this quarter. Mm. I'm going to reach this income goal. I'm going to do that. You know, whatever. I'm going to have these posts and I'm going to be on this amount of podcasts and apply for that TEDx talk. And it's just that's yes, those are activities. But Mm -hmm. also knowing I'm on a journey my path will take mm-hmm. me where it's going. Things will pop up, creating the space for things Which to pop up. Which is so up. different than academia. Can we the just opposite. highlight that for a second? Like, <laughs> we don't sit around and we're like, oh, today, like, the right class will fall in my lap. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll know. I mean, I love it because I'm totally with you. That's my my it's almost like my brain has been rewired yes <laughs> like because you kind of don't really have a choice like when you're running a business to you can have and and I would love to talk to you about where your vision is because I love that question too um yeah you can have the vision and how do you bring that down to your day-to-day tasks and when the vision isn't a phd or a tenure track job or you know whatever a position or whatever it's like, well, wait, what is it? Because like, I mm-hmm. there's only so many options in academia and in entrepreneurship. It's like it feels like it's infinite. Like it can be, it can be an income. It can be what you know. Most people are like, what does your day look like? Like what? Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, what? Like mind blown. Yeah, <laughs> such a different way of seeing the world. I was looking at the 2024 academic calendar today for like what classes oh we're going to be teaching <laughs> in 2024. So yes, I live. You know, academia is in the future, very future. You know. You're going to have the next five years planned out to a T. Yep. And businesses Mm -hmm. aren't like that. Accepting Mm -hmm. that my business doesn't have to be like that and that it won't Mm -hmm. live like that is 
uh yes revolutionary i'd say um, it's right re- yeah freeing a little bit scary like you said being uncomfortable like comfortable with that uncertainty yes. yeah yes and it's okay not to know and then mm-hmm. when i've tried to create a goal in the past that isn't authentic to who i am because i'm just trying to search for another like well, I need something to have a goal to work towards. So I guess I'll right. say I want to make make X amount of dollars mm-hmm. if I want to say that. But I actually have a lot more work to do on my thought process, uh, money mindsets. And I, yep. you know, like, is that what I want to, was that actually the goal? Oh, wait, no, that's not what's driving yep. me to create this work mm-hmm. and to coach people. And okay, so how does that then, how does income fit into that? That's yep. different yep. than just putting a, statement out there and Mm -hmm. business people will make statements for you right of like yeah you should want (laughs) to make a hundred thousand dollars apparently that seems to be a good everyone's always running around (laughs) talking about six figures figure yeah yes Yes. which can be great but if it doesn't feel Mm -hmm. you know or feels so unattainable one of the first things i did Mm -hmm. being on upwork as a freelancer has been a big part of my story because when I was just trying out different side hustles and like, what should I do? And, That's smart. Uh, being an editor, right, is a I know a lot mm-hmm. of your past guests have done this, mm-hmm. too. But editing papers for people and that's just the demand is always seems to be there. People yeah. need papers edited. And it was a gateway into kind of like the MLM, but into mm-hmm. entrepreneurship of I can earn my own money by editing papers and helping others with their papers. So on Upwork, I did a lot of that work. And, you know, I started at $39 an hour because Mm -hmm. that was kind of my benchmark for what I got paid to go read advanced placement exams. I did that for three summers. Funny, yeah. Reading advanced placement exams, you make about $30 an hour. And so I said, okay, now on Upwork, because they have a, you know, they take a cut of it. So it's like, I can make my $30 Mm -hmm. an hour, right? Editing papers. And I did. And then once I had that first, it was just like, oh, well, I can make more doing this. And actually, Mm -hmm. if I raise my rates, I don't get these clients that want their APA formatting, you know, tomorrow at midnight. And I I don't rent, you know, there's clients that are looking for something different when you raise your prices. And building out that whole model in the past couple of years has really been eye-opening and giving me energy to see like, wow, I ha- I bring a lot of value to clients. And mm. there's parts of this work that I enjoy doing in the editing part and a little bit of coaching slips into there definitely as people are working sure. on projects that th- this is how I want to spend my energy, right? And then I move into the like, okay, now here's the next iteration of that. Uh, and it's beyond where I started. But I would have never known if I didn't get started, just put myself out there step. as mm-hmm. somebody who mm-hmm. could edit your APA style. Yeah, I love that. That's so cool. I didn't even think about the Upwork freelancer connection, but that's really, really, really smart. And it is uh, Upwork uh, being on that bandwagon is a SEO generator for me. So I actually oh. get a lot of people that contact me outside of Upwork because they found me on Upwork, but then they Googled my name. Yes. So that and that's a way that they know that the pricing might potentially be different and like um, as well, too, because Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously Upwork doesn't want that to happen, but they can't prevent it from happening. And that's the other side of it. So um, cool. Well, that's really cool. So tell me about how let's talk a little bit about how your business is currently structured. I, um, I love this because I do like to, you know, while I'm not 
you know, I'm not side hustle nation doing like really crazy things, <laughs> but like I do like to show people's like different business models and like also connect it back to how it's evolved over time. Yeah. Because I think you're doing an excellent job of painting that image of like, you know, the first thing you do in your business will probably not be what you'll end up doing, you know, two years later. And yes. that was the same for me. So, um, yeah, what does your business model look like right now? Like what kind of income streams do you have? And then um, and if you want to talk about if at some point you made different decisions or something that might be helpful too. Yeah, yeah. So right now, um, and I'm happy to talk numbers and those kinds of things, because sure. when I first started, it was just like, if I could make an extra $500 a month, yep. that would pay yep. for my student loan that I'm still paying. Yep. Not that I even paid for tuition, but I took out loans over the years, so like the cost mm -hmm. of living life, right? Of just, mm -hmm. I'm in all these mm -hmm. weddings and I have to pay for it. And that kind of lifestyle. Um, the yep. Yep. Uh, pain that is like, if I could just do that, I, well, again, you're here, you can hear this is just me trying to make another benchmark, right? Because I was like, I'll just be so happy if I can make a $500. <laughs> yeah. Like, Kaylin, yep. when, how many times is it going to take you to know? Uh, I'm very Eckhart Tolle now, the power mm -hmm. of now, like live in the now. I'm trying to embrace mm -hmm. it. Uh, but I, it's easy. It's easy to slide back into that. I'll be happy when. So if I mm -hmm. said that two years ago, now earning a thousand dollars a month is very like, I know how to do that with no problem yep. on my day to day schedule, living my life. I sleep eight hours every day. Like I'm very strict about mm, my work life mm -hmm. balance and having time to do the things I enjoy and want to do. So if that's true, where can I go from here? So that mm. would be a future part. But in between there, I said, okay, how do I, you know, it's just very small of if $39 an hour to start out and doing this kind of work. How many hours can I do that per how week? How many numbers? Yep. What yep. And we're literally running the numbers. And so I'd run into the wall. I'd increase my rates. And of course, you do run into an editing wall of yep. Um, yep. what people will pay for that. And I've hit that yep. in terms of, I mean, on Upwork, it's $99 an hour now to hire me. But I actually tr really try to steer people only towards that, I, that it's a fixed rate price, right? So that we're not uh, getting mm -hmm. into the nitty gritty of how I'm spending Hourly. my hour. Yep but yep. where I'm providing a lot of value to you for your project. So I yep. it took time to move to that kind of model. And now I can, and it took knowing what that work looked like to be able to say, yes. I know it takes me five hours to do this kind of project. So yep. here's what I can charge for that. Um, so establishing, working my way up to that. And then I don't feel the pressure to watch every hour of when I'm trying to work mm -hmm. on a project too. What's another piece of that? Okay, so my income streams would be, now it's all focused. Well, okay, the $1,000 a month comes in from either statistical, statistical consulting and people mm. asking me stats questions. And I, you know, I had a lot of that training in graduate school, um, those kinds of questions, or uh, for some corporations that want statistics completed, they're running a report hmm. and they need somebody to do, you know, the means and standard deviations on something. And you don't even have to have advanced statistics for that. Right. No, but there's yeah. a lot of people but that know nothing. That's cool. They don't know how to make graphs. They don't know how to yeah, uh, wow. compare two groups. Uh, program yeah. evaluation. People come to me, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. And then sometimes there'll be editing projects still in there, especially some of my early clients that'll come back to me. 
and we oh. just have that ongoing yeah. relationship and they have ongoing work nice. and I'm still happy to help them even if it feels like at a lower rate because it's still something I enjoy. I didn't I didn't want to stop working with them. So that feels that's all of that piece and then any other income is just all focused on one-on-one coaching right now. So yeah, uh, nice. and building that out for 2019. So it, at first it was just very session by session and kind of back to that mm-hmm. hourly ra- rate mm-hmm. and feeling like it was low, but I just really had to know that I could coach people. And so I yeah, think my very first true. coaching client was like $50 for the session and it felt great and amazing. Then scaling up from there and really turning mm-hmm. it into packages of value yep. Yep. Uh, and that things go with that too, right? My time, my email to you, mm-hmm. communication we might have back and forth. So scaling up from that and then that, yeah, that it would be like at three or six months at a time. So right now yes. that's where I'm headed talking about what does all of 2019 look like mm. and can my clients be in place so that it's very steady income and I know exactly where I am. So to be yes. full on coaching clients would be the idea. In 2000, at the beginning of 2018, I felt very like I could produce a month. I guess this was the year of 2017 of looking back on 2017. It was like, mm-hmm. I can make $1,000 but then the next month I made 200. Wait a minute. Mm-hmm. How do you really make it steady? And so I spent 2018 making it steady. So it's at that very clear. I always know X amounts coming in. And now it's okay. Let's project to the future. And then another piece of my story is that I always, or that I think is important for entrepreneurs to share is that I'm usually actually putting all of that money back into my business. Yes. So I'm mm-hmm. in a mode of training and learning yep. and well, I'm, I'm love of learning, right. As most of our like sure. top values. So it's easy <laughs> actually to spend money on training, but it's knowing that. that knowing if I want to grow past the side hustle and I want it to be something that really gives me freedom. Like I could turn what I'm doing right now into a full-time job if I quit mm-hmm, my full, current full-time job, right? Yep. But yep. I don't, like I do, things have calmed down and I do really enjoy teaching my students and being in the position I'm in. And so right now, that's not an option. So what is it? what does it take to get from $1,000 a month without having to think about it to $5,000 a month mm-hmm. with still the same time frame, right? Like still yep. not just in making it 40 hours a week because that would be easy, but really other passive streams and a projection into 2019 that I know the clients that I have, I'm not searching for them. They're already there. And then I'm, you know, like leveling up from there. So yeah, that's where I am right now of kind of in between Mm -hmm. that middle. What does it take to get to the next level? Yep. And that and that's the create and there you go. Now we're back on a ladder. I know there <laughs> is like, like that. <laughs> well, and it's very like coming back to, but wait, why do I want to do that? Why would mm-hmm. I want to say? And it's the power and the freedom of say, being able to say yes. at the end of the day, maybe part of this I want to walk away from. Or also power to say, I don't need this. And to be able to stand mm. up in a meeting, like walk out of a meeting that I'm not interested mm. in. See, I don't need this. And if somebody ever mm. did come to me and say, worth, you know, you're, uh, but we make up these scenarios. I don't know if they actually happen, but like somebody coming to you, <laughs> I guess, well, okay, I shouldn't say that because if this has happened to a listener, like we hear you. Definitely. Mm, possibly, this this yeah. is your path. But we dream up things about somebody would come to me and say, your job is on the line right now. Like we could yeah. fire you tomorrow. 
and uh-huh. being able to like hear that and say, okay, like cool. I'm ready for that. You know, like mm-hmm. you can do that. And then what, mm-hmm. a, you know, most of those kinds of situations are empty threats really of, uh, if you, if you have the power to say back, okay, then what do they have? What power do they have? Yeah. Anymore? There's no power over you. There's yeah, no yeah, fear yeah. Yeah. of yeah. kind of, oh, you're right. I have to play by the exact rules that you've set here, even if I don't believe in that. Uh, and so that yeah. would be the, I think that's something I want to do. But again, One other days I'm very, mm-hmm. you know, with advising week and I'm, when I'm working with my students one-on-one, it's very hard to imagine leaving uh, mm. some days of it is very tied to my identity. And I enjoy a lot of the pieces of what I do. Uh, mm-hmm. But I have, by growing my business, I have stepped off the ladder, the traditional ladder of becoming a full professor after, after associate. Hmm. So that would be the next thing in line to achieve. And with nope. research, we know there's kind of the, the if things have to be in the pipeline, the way things work. All the publications that I have right now and that are coming out right now are actually efforts from three, two to three years ago. So you can't mm. see it yet on my CV, but you're going to start like five years from now, you'll be able to see that I gap. wasn't, yeah, that there just wasn't mm. as much or I wasn't as technically article productive as I could mm-hmm. have been if I stayed on that strict path. And so what mm. does that look like then if mm-hmm. uh, if I've purposely stepped off that ladder and kind of, you know, I guess it's not just uh, somebody else's ladder, but very, mm. what, what would you say is kind of a bridge to building each piece of the ladder as it comes up in front of me, kind of? <laughs> yeah, right. I can't <laughs> see sure. the top yeah. of the ladder, but it's Mm-mm. kind of put those pieces as they come up. So I'm trying to embrace yep. that too of then what happens, right? What, mm-hmm. $10,000 a month? Yeah, does mm-hmm. it ever end of that process? And maybe it mm-hmm. isn't just driven by money uh, and it's focused on how can I help tens of thousands of people instead More of people. Hundreds, mm-hmm. pe- hundreds of people every year. Mm-hmm. That's a really big difference, too. Yeah. You know, there's a book. Have you read The Go-Giver? No. So pick that one up. Go-Giver. Um, it had come up in my life before and I was like, oh, whatever. But it's super easy read. Like, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I think it's a little old. So, like, I think it's, you know, 10, 20 years old, maybe even older. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fiction story, but it's written by a business person, mm-hmm. <laughs> a businessman. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like someone that's, I don't know, been a CEO or something. I, I actually I kind of should probably Google this person. <laughs> but yeah, they're, I think they've started companies, you know, that kind of thing. And it has these like five... It basically has a guy who is working really hard um, at his job and he um, is trying to make sales and blah, blah, blah. And so he basically outlines like... I don't know if he calls them principles, but he basically tells this cutesy little story about this guy who wants to move up. And it's more corporate, right? Mm-hmm. But... It was more like, oh, I have to... I forget what the like struggle the guy has is like he just wants from other people. Like that's kind of... And he's like, I want this sale or I need to meet this goal um, as a as a worker mm-hmm. in a, a corporation, which I don't really connect with at all. But what was cool about... There's one of the three... One of the five principles is something about the money that you make is 
directly proportional to like the amount of people that you impact. Mm. And he uses a K through 12 educator. It's either it's either a kindergarten teacher or preschool teacher or someone just teaching. Mm -hmm. He uses their story of starting a business uh, to explain this principle to this guy. And it was just like it landed so hard with me where I was like, Oh, because I'm exactly like you. Like, oh, this 100K mark, I guess I'm supposed to try to hit it. Or like, <laughs> oh, per month. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I just had no emotional connection. But some of my friends so driven by mm-hmm. that. And I just couldn't put my finger on why I wasn't. And I, it's because like our drive, it comes from a different place, I think, in the career paths we've chosen, mm-hmm. where if you go into corporate, you know, yeah, you are, it's it's usually a title and that title al- always comes with a raise, yeah. right? So a raise from going from 1K to 10K is an achievement. Mm-hmm. For us, there's no such thing as raises, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Like we get them as a collective, right? It's not about raises or cash, but then even still, if that's not our driving point, it's still you still have to grapple with it because it's still a question of, oh, yeah, this is a marker. Revenue mm-hmm. like is my business. So we do have to tie it to that because that's how it runs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if we're directly making it as not as a non-salaried person. So anyways, he goes into that thing and and he, I, you know, and I, there's some, you know, there's some holes we can poke in it. Um, mm-hmm. He basically was saying something as like, okay, because I even in teaching sociology and teaching like the, um, the economic systems and capitalism mm-hmm. and teaching, you know, social class and all of that. Obviously, I have that conversation happening in my head, but he mentions, um, yeah, like a athlete or some like football player. And if you think about how many millions of people, right, so we can look at like publicity and like public connection, they actually do impact a lot of people. Yeah. Now, you know, I as a sociologist look at like, um, you know, uh, just like Max Weber and like this, Mm -hmm. like how we look at like jobs and prestige and society and what's considered valuable. And, you know, obviously we could talk about that. But when I started to think about that direct connection of you, you know, having a coaching practice is like maybe a couple people a month Mm -hmm. fit in your schedule and that's who you can impact. But if you're impacting a hundred people a month, you obviously don't have enough hours but the revenue is directly tied to the impact of these people that you're helping. And there's lots of models to achieve that. There's some that are courses and membership sites. There's building agencies and having a team. And um, and there's all of that. But that's when you know revenue grows when you're impacting more people. And mm-hmm. once I kind of connected that, I was like, okay, that's a train I could be on. Yes. <laughs> like, that's a track which <laughs> that matters to me. Yeah, which comes back to Brene Brown, right? Because she's doing mm. both. Um, yes. Wayne Dyer, who uh, Love it. has passed away, but yeah. he was somebody who did this path early on in the yep. 90s and yep. 80s, 90s, I guess. And uh, also wa- like walked away from his tenure position as a professor and said, I'm going to go make the impact and write the books for Wait, the thousands I didn't know of people. That. Oh, you should read. Um, what? I'm on a mission to read all of his books, I think. And his biography or autobiography, which is mm, we'll have to put in the I'll show Google notes. It. Yeah. His autobiography goes I had in no really idea. Yes, he goes really into depth. It goes into depth with how he was a professor and he walked in. You know, he goes into the whole story. He walks in. Did he? Te- was he psych? Did he, he do psychology? Yeah. Yep. Psych. Yeah. Yep. Oh, got his degree later in life too, which is also a fascinating part of his ah, story that he was in the military that. and then 
Mm. Earned his PhD later um, and didn't follow a traditional academic path at first, but then he was, and he was working as a professor, walks in and tells the dean, you know, something like, I got to go... I got to go publish these books. I think he'd written his first book first, too, you know, and it's very. It had, How did I miss this? Because he's brought up. I'm like literally in shock. How <sighs> did I miss this? Like I knew. And it's funny, too, is he goes by Dr. Wayne Dyer. I've seen it. Yes. But for some reason, I was like, oh, it's probably not a Ph.D. Maybe it's. Something else. No, it <laughs> is. So it funny. is. Uh, yeah, <sighs> it is. And he. Right. And then it was because of his books. Very similar to Brene Brown. Right. Of that then took off. Uh-huh. And then people and because he stuck with it and part. Right. Part of Brene's story mm. that I hang on to is that she was hawking those books out of her trunk. Yeah. And she. Yep. She stuck with it because she knew she had an important yep. message. And so did Wayne Dyer. He like went on. Mm-hmm. P- what is that? Um. Uh, the public TV and went to all those stations and just Hmm. interviewed and didn't stop. He just Hmm. didn't stop with the message he needed to share. And then it took off. Hmm. And once that happened, Hmm. he was Hmm. able to walk into that Dean's office and say, I've got to go do other stuff. I think it was actually part of something like my schedule is so busy by doing now all the big interviews and he was becoming famous that he Mm. said, I, you know, it's like, I kind of can't do both. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So it's fascinating. And I hang on to those stories as reminders. of Okay. Here's the possibility to be able to make a big impact on the world, to be able to, you know, when I get excited about thinking about reducing shame in higher education, there's Mm. so many people that feel alone and feel like nobody knows what's happening to them. And in particular, Mm -hmm. college dropouts, when I think about uh, institutions that are taking their money, right? Like, some universities mm-hmm. marketing is a little too good at getting people yeah, who are ready for college yeah. to like sign yeah. up for college. And then they have loans and they drop out and yep. all of that work. Like Sarah uh, Goldrick Rabb, who yes. wrote that paying the price. Like she, she's also another superhero, right? Cause she's making it happen Shoot, as well. I'm yeah. going to use my voice and my platform to really help individuals. Yep. And uh, I just saw Amal Clooney speak at an event and uh, she has the, a different perspective as a lawyer, but she mm. now uses her... Pl- Similar. Yeah, uses the platform of, yeah. hey, I married George Clooney. Uh, <laughs> you know, like, how does yeah. that even happen? But <laughs> I married George Clooney, and now I have an even bigger platform. She's on a whole different ladder than yes, us. <laughs> yes, yes. And she says, you know, in this talk, she spent the time talking about a young Palestinian woman who, you know, was trying to stand up and share her story. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I, you know, to have a platform to then turn to other people to say, mm. here, like you need a voice and you need a voice yeah. and you all yeah. need to not feel shame about this. And that is right. What drives the whole thing. Right. Like that, mm-hmm. those are the reasons to wake up and make a difference in the world and yeah. not and make cash on the side. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> not Right. Exactly. And to feel power over that, because I think too yeah. often as academics were like, okay, yeah, I'm going to do that part and I don't need to make any money while I'm doing the rest of this. Mm. Like, no, no, we are not going to sit mm-hmm. down and just say like, you don't have to pay me anything for this. No. We're yeah. also going to get paid for it. Thank you. <laughs> yep. yep. We'd empower each other to Love get it. paid too. Get paid. Yeah, I'm so on board with that. And it, yeah, I mean... I love it. This has been such a fun conversation. I'm like, I'm like, we went like lots of cool places. Like I, I, it's like, I look back at all my interviews and I'm like, I would never have had this interview, like, you know, interview five or 10 or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. It's really cool. Um, I'm curious to hear about 
what your goals are for your business, like the future. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, uh, any tips you have for someone who's just starting out? Cause I think you also offer a really great perspective with, um, you know, the starting their freelances and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. what do you wish you knew? That would be awesome mm. too. So if you can hit both of those. So go super forward and then go back a little bit. <laughs> yeah, super forward. Uh, well, just some of the ideas we were just talking about. Oh, and really having that clear path, clear clients lined up for 2019, mm. feeling, it. It, having it feel very authentic. I'm at a place in my mm. business where I don't, uh, I don't need shiny object syndrome. Something nope. new pops up. I don't need it. I'm on a path. I'm doing my thing. I'm filling my coaching roster. I know there are lots of other ways I could be building my business right now, but right now it's focused <laughs> and they on... all work. <laughs> yes, it's yes, just, they yeah, do. They do. Yes, mm-hmm. and you know, listeners should definitely sign up for the program. They should. What they should do actually is listen mm-hmm. to you and tune everybody else out because there are a lot of voices. <laughs> And you there can lot. try to listen to all of them and then try to implement mm. all their methods and it's too much. And so yeah, being on that path in 2019, you know, I'll be mm. certified Love from it. the life coach school in 2019, uh, really uh, growing under Brooke's umbrella, Brooke Casillo mm-hmm. and seeing where that path takes me. And this time, you know, I don't know where I'll be with it this time next year, but yeah. I know I'll have enjoyed the process and be glad I had done it and, be surprised at where my results are. The things I'm doing. uh, That's what I'm most looking forward to. And uh, let's see. Oh, and you know, another piece of this too is never thinking that you know exactly how it's going to all work out because Mm. I also had this vision. uh, You know, I guess even when I started as a professor of, I also want to be able to travel the world. And Uh, how do I, you know, how do I do that when now we have a mortgage and we need to upgrade our furnace system? And how do I (laughs) save my extra money to travel? Mm. And instead of being obsessed with how am I going to earn extra money to make this trip happen? I said, and I, we hadn't traveled internationally until we went to Peru and we did save the money for that. We went on a school trip and I was like, wow, this is really, this is really neat to see. Mm. And after that, an opportunity landed in my lap that I, and I'm, you know, I paid attention and there's a company, uh, Education First that offers travel for professors. You, Mm. you take groups of students or community members or who, you know, whoever you want, And you take people on these trips and your trip is paid for. Yep. yep. And that once I discovered that, it just felt so like I didn't even know that existed. I thought there was only one path to travel that I had to Mm. save my money and then I could go on a trip. I save my money. I go on a trip. And instead, this was an option. And for some people, this is their worst nightmare of leading students on a trip. (laughs) I took students to Greece uh, uh, my husband and I went in May of 2018 nice. and, you know, it, it was such an amazing trip and we were gone for 13 days and it just felt so, it felt like something we could have never done if I hadn't been uh. leading that trip. And people talk about that. That's a lot of responsibility. And, uh, I would never want to do that. Well, you don't want to do it, but maybe somebody does and it mm-hmm. calls to them and it feels that kind of travel planning they sent me to Paris on a free trip for training. Nice. I'm getting ready to go to Boston on a free trip. Japan is coming up. Like my future with Education First and there are other similar companies. I never would have imagined where that would have mm. taken me and that it feels so easy. And so I'm on mm. a mission to find things that feel easy. Feel easy. Because other people don't think they're easy. Like in the yeah. beginning, editing 
APA papers felt really easy. And it was somehow Mm. I have some eagle eye for this and people pay for it. Okay, great. (laughs) But also like (laughs) taking students on trips feels easy to me. Coaching clients one-on-one feels feels easy. easy, And it Mm -hmm. brings me energy when I do it. You know, mm. being on a podcast and talking with Lindsay is like, I mm. have energy now that I've done this mm. today. And those are the activities that light me up, that I'm on a mission yes. to just keep doing and not get yes. distracted with all the other stuff that exists and probably doesn't light me up, especially when I might experiment with it or try it. And then I say, yeah, that's that's just not for me. And it's OK that it's not for me. It doesn't have to be my mm. path. Yes, I love it. Like, and then you're so it's so funny, you must have been listening to me and Melanie talking, but we were talking about uh, the electric feeling and feeling alive. Yes. Yeah. Are there parts of your life that make you feel dead inside? Like, be honest, right? I'm, I'm adjusting and we're and that's a constant gauge, right? Like, you don't just like hit this. I mean, well, I guess you could hit this nirvana, right? That's why that word exists. That's what you know, like, you don't necessarily hit it. It's probably a journey. Mm -hmm. But um. But I think tuning into that, right? Like how much of my day am I like lit up? And yeah, for me, a lot of it was in the classroom when I was actually live teaching. And then there was a lot of not lit mm-hmm. up, right? So, mm-hmm. oh, um, and then now I would say, okay, I've, I've rearranged my life looks very different. I did kind of accidentally create a job for myself that mm-hmm. um, was a lot more work than my teaching. So I'm working backwards from that, right? And yep. so there's these, I think just tapping into that though, right? Like paying attention to that. Um, what things can you let go of? What things can you move off your plate? Mm-hmm. What can you be open for? Like you're saying, like mm-hmm. open for, you know, opportunities and other ways of seeing things. I think that's um, awesome advice. And I think it ties your interview together too. It does. And it's not going to be permanent yeah. too. Like things will change mm. as your business grows. And when you're the, yes. when you first make your graphics yourself, because you don't have any money to pay <laughs> somebody to make your graphics, like you don't have to do that forever. It will change. Yep. And all the other yep. pieces will keep changing as you continue to grow. And so like, enjoy that process. Remember mm. what lights you up. Yes. Yep. And so maybe it is graphics for a little bit. True. Some people, right. Some <laughs> I, people I love like that. graphics. It just eats a lot of time. And then I hate it when it doesn't work out. Right. <laughs> like yes. I'm like Canva. Like, why are you bugging on me right now? Yes. Yeah. And it probably takes me a lot longer than if I hired somebody to do it. That's, That's the, the other, other piece, side, right? right? That people mm-hmm. refuse to admit, you know, it's kind of like I could do it myself. Well, how many hours is it taking you? And what else could you mm-hmm. be doing with that time? <laughs> yeah. And how do you feel like during and after yes. or whatever, having done it? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right, Miss Caitlin, this was super fun. I'm so glad we got to hang out and I Me got to too. learn a little bit more about you. Thanks, Lindsay. Yeah, thanks for stopping by. I will uh, see you around the interwebs. I'm sure I will have you back on. We'll have this like, where are they now after this has been on for a while? Oh, you're right. Won't we'll that be fascinating? In, right? You'll have to uh-huh. listen to your episode, right? It'll be a requirement. Like, yep. You have to go back and listen mm-hmm. and see Homework. what's changed. <laughs> yeah, I love it. That would be really fun. We could do like a 15, 20 minute check in. That could be cool. Mm-hmm. I love it. Vision of the future of the podcast. Yes. Um, well, yeah. Well, thank you for being a part of it. Making history. Thank you. (laughs) All right. I'll see you next time. Bye.